Vegas. Merry Christmas. Wednesday, December 25th, 2019. Born the Battle. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. The podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Again, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and today is also my wife's birthday. She doesn't listen to the podcast, she says, because she can't stand to hear my voice. Anywhere other than either on the phone or right in front of her. However, if you're off chance that you're listening, happy birthday, honey bear. All right, I thought this would be a great opportunity to showcase some bonus material from the past year that that maybe didn't make it on the podcast throughout the year. So with this one, this one goes all the way back to mid-September. At the time, I was going to the Modern Day Marine Expo, the Military Influencer Conference, AUSA, just conference after conference after conference after conference. And at the expo, at the Modern Day Marine Expo, there was a panel titled The Next Mission, which was all in caps. Marine veterans who are changing the world. Uh, For some reason, not all in caps. So, of course, I thought that this would be great content to bring to you. So, I walked in, found out that it was put on by the Marine Corps Times, asked their executive editor, Andrew Tillman, and their editor, Andrea Scott, if I can record the panel for Born the Battle, and they graciously allowed me to. And I can never find the right time or time in general to make an episode out of it until now. Andrea hosted a great panel of Marine Corps veterans that featured Martha McPhee, who is the director of events and special projects for Susan Davis International. Sam Meek, who is the founder and CEO of Sandbox with two X's. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to find out soon. And Richard Cardona. He is a video content strategist uh, focusing on creating content for C-level executives for small to medium-sized businesses. And by following him on LinkedIn, I can tell you he makes a heck of a lot of content. So without further ado, I bring to you the next mission, Marine Veterans Who Are Changing the World, presented by the Military Times. Okay, let's get started. Um, thank you all for coming. I'm uh, Andrew Tillman. I'm the executive editor for Military Times. Um, thanks for uh, coming. We're going to take a little uh, shift from the, the topic that tends to dominate uh, the modern day Marine, which is a lot about uh, tactics and uh, new gear. And we're going to talk uh, about people and specifically uh, the challenges and issues facing Marines as they look to transition out of the Marine Corps and head back into the civilian world. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's worth noting there's been a pretty big uh, cultural shift the past 10 or 15 years. You know, there was a time when uh, the Marine Corps and the other services kind of had a, a mindset that if they prepared service members too well to leave the military, that they would uh, all leave and we'd have a retention problem. But that's, uh, that's really changed. And it's a really good time to be talking about this topic. Veterans unemployment is near, uh, nearly at an all-time low, and both uh, inside the military and outside, there's an extraordinary level of support for veterans making this transition. So um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Marine Corps Times editor, uh, Andrea Scott, to introduce our panelists. 
Thank you, Andrea. Andrew. <laughs> My name's Andrea, not his. My name's Andrea Scott. I'm the editor of Marine Corps Times. I'm very excited to be here with you all today. Thanks for showing up at the end of the day. There is a happy hour after, so it's worth staying for that. Um, I'm very excited about this panel because we have some incredible panelists here. Um, all three of these prior service Marines um, are making waves in the space that they're in. Um, some of them I only met today, but they've been on our radar for a while, whether it's through LinkedIn or online through the companies that they're starting, they're making waves, and um, we're excited to hear their insights about that. So with that, I just want to go down the line. I'll have each of them introduce themselves, um, talk maybe just very briefly about what you did in the Marine Corps, how long you were in, and um, your journey uh, to get to where you're at now. We'll start with you, Sam. Thanks so much. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Sam Meek. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps in 2002, got out in 07. I was uh, NBC, now called CBRN. Uh, Lejeune, and uh, and then Okinawa, after five years, got out, made my way into Wall Street, and was fortunate enough to stumble into what we're doing now here at Sandbox. But um, I'll say, you know, being, being a Marine and being part of that was so much of what has helped me understand my journey through business life today. I'm Martha McPhee. I joined the Marine Corps in 2008. I got out in 2015. I had known what I wanted to do when I got out of the Marine Corps since I was in 10th grade. So I had basically been on a trajectory of where I knew I was going to head um, and kind of worked uh, in different ways. I'm sure we'll hear about it more later um, to get me in that direction when I got out of the Marine Corps. So now I do uh, events for monuments, museums. Uh, we actually just put on the largest active duty women's conference uh, probably in the world. We had a thousand active duty women in one location and we added a transitioning day to that. Uh, we had 350 women attend that as well. So just working on some big things. Uh, hey everyone, I'm Rich Cardona, retired Marine. I joined uh, 1998, got out in 2015, uh, did a little bit of the Terra action, uh, decided to stay in San Diego. Uh, after uh, my service, what I did was I spent a couple years at a very well-branded, big, well-known company, a uh, couple years, and then I decided to try and go something, do something on my own. And what I do for businesses is I do video content and social media strategies, but specifically video content, uh, because I believe you can only realize your value if you're visible, and video is the only way to go, in my opinion. So uh, that's what I do, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks, all. Sam, you touched briefly that your company's name is Sandbox. Can you tell us what Sandbox is, what you do, and how you came to that point of starting this? Sure, absolutely. So uh, when um, I, I, I really fell onto Wall Street backwards, and I had an opportunity to learn a lot about um, you know, how teams work in the civilian sector and, and, and kind of in business. And during that time, I was introduced to our chairman. Um, some of the older Marines in the room, I know him as uh, Major General Ray E. Tool Smith. And he had this interesting idea of how could we better connect the military community with a platform. And as we started digging into it, we realized no one was kind of building the holistic content and technology necessary for today's warfighter and their families in today's user experience expectations. So um, what we decided to build was, a, was an easy way for folks to uh, consume content and stay connected at the beginning of their military journey. So we're well known for our letters platform um, and basic training. We send anywhere from five to 15,000 letters a day to uh, our service members that are in basic training. Uh, we acquire about 30% of the Department of Defense as they join the military through the recruiting and department and, the, and boot camp channels. Um, and uh, we've got uh, about 50 people across the organization today. 
uh, growing like crazy and having a lot of fun doing it. But, uh, you know, fundamentally staying connected to, um, you know, our Marines and soldiers, sailors and airmen is, uh, is, is really amazing for me personally. And um, we've been able to hire a lot of military spouses to join us as well. So tell us a little more about the letters. You just touched on that briefly, but yeah, I heard sure. about it earlier. It sounds really cool. So uh, as most folks know here, when you go to basic training, you're not allowed to take your phone with you. So um, one of our neat features is to be able to send a physical piece of mail directly from the app to a loved one in basic training. So if you've got a son at Paris on and you send a letter before 5 p.m. on a Tuesday, it's going to arrive a mail call on Wednesday. Next day, it includes uh, your letter, a picture, a return envelope that's pre-addressed to go right back home and uh, tracking to uh, to mom and dad or your wife or spouse or whoever is sending that letter. Um, we also send content on a weekly basis on what's happening at that basic training facility. Um, and it's just a it's a it's a really neat way for not only that individual recruit and basic training to, you know, get through the fight and stay focused with morale and stuff from home, but allows that social circle back home to be able to stay connected where they're used to doing that. And that's from the mobile. So we, we, we get about, um, at Paris on, we, we acquire about 98, 99% of all Marines that go through there and, uh, San Diego, uh, about 70% right now. So, yeah. And say somebody out here has a great idea, something like that, that they want to send letters to, to Paris Island. How did you actually take that idea into a physical company? What did that look like? Who remembers Motomail? <laughs> so when I was first deployed uh, in Takatum, Motomail came out. And as we were launching Sandbox, we didn't have a uh, customer acquisition strategy. And so we thought, well, what's a major friction point at the choke point of joining the military, which is really boot camp. And it happens to be the fact that you're disconnected from your cell phone. Um, so we basically took the Moto Mail idea and we put it on steroids and we threw it in our app and we've iterated and constantly evaluated on how to optimize it and make it better uh, for the last three years. Um, so it, it really started with a pain point that I had experienced being deployed and you know, um, I, I went to boot camp when you know, cell phones weren't really around, at least how they are today. And, um, and it's really taken off. It's the de facto way for friends and family to uh, stay connected to their recruits in bootcamp. Do you have a development background? Did you hire someone to start this app? How did that process? <laughs> yeah, they, you know, I, I would say one of the great things about being in the Marine Corps, you recognize you can't do anything without a team. And um, I, I've been a little bit of a geek, but never, you know, passed an inch. And so finding uh, a technical co-founder is, is absolutely critical in the early stages. And then being able to find, uh, you know, teammates that can execute on certain parts of the business, whether it's, you know, building the Android app, the iOS app, focusing on marketing, content delivery, you name it. Um, you really have to find the right people to be able to do that. So um, I would say that, uh, you know, one of the hard things is figuring out that you can't do it all and, um, and finding the right teammates to be able to execute for you. Were you doing it for free? Did you have funding? How did that? Yeah, happen? we got we. Uh, so um, I was lucky enough to meet uh, the CEO of a major Wall Street bank. Told him our story. Uh, it was Knight Capital at the time. Knight Capital came in, uh, put a quarter million bucks into the first business. Uh, he wrote a check in. We ended up raising about two million bucks in our A round, and uh, we're able to get things off the ground. Um, you know, about a year and a half later, we did a B round, raised another three million bucks, and uh, so much of it was just through networking and you know, getting to people that really love the story. And uh, I would say that one of the greatest things I've learned in capital raising is 
if you get someone to write you a check, there's a very high percent chance that they have wealthy friends that will also write you a check. Um, so if anyone's out there thinking about capital raising, focus on where you're getting money and, and ask them for 10 friends that would be willing to participate. And there's something about raising that capital, but then at what point are you actually making money? Well, that's a big question, and it really kind of depends on the business model. You know, we've been very fortunate to, uh, um, to get ourselves to profitability. Um, it is not an easy road by any means. Uh, being able to manage your expenses and your, your people and, uh, you know, things go along. I mean, a lot of people in this room manage P&Ls, and uh, you know what it's like. Um, so uh, it, it, there's a, there's a trade-off between growth and, um, and, and sustainability. And it's a very fine line that you have to dance and you never get it right. Um, you just hope that you have the right people around you that'll help you get it right. How long did it take you guys though? Uh, it, it took us about, uh, from when we launched the app, about three years. Three, three years yeah. till they were making money. And that's, I would say, um, you know, you look at like Uber, Amazon, some of the huge groups out there. I mean, they haven't yet, they've yet to turn a profit. And, uh, um, you know, obviously we're much smaller scale than that, but it's, um, you know, that, again, it's a trade-off between how much you want to continue investing in growth. I mean, companies like ours could go out, raise another round, and, and keep doing that round-raising function, step function, which a lot of startups do. Um, but that's a that's a hell of a horse race to be in. And, and uh, I think sometimes it's a little bit easier to focus uh, tightly on what you know that works and then grow incrementally from there. Martha, you said you knew since you were 10 years old what you wanted to do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so I took a government class, a government affairs class when I was in 10th grade and I knew I wanted to end up in DC doing policy. I'm not doing policy now, um, but uh, I went into the recruiter and I actually asked them, you know, do you, can you, can you get me to legislative affairs? Uh, can you get me on the Hill? And the recruiter immediately said, of course, yeah, super easy. It's not as easy as he made uh, me believe that it was. Um, I tried to get a public affairs spot. I ended up being a direct air support control officer. I might be one of the only Marines that served for eight years and has never done their MOS. I've done probably eight or nine other jobs, uh, senior air coordinator, close battle coordinator, airspace coordinator, intel officer for a squadron, protocol for the commandant, uh, legislative affairs. Um, probably something new each year, but I had to find those jobs. And each one of those jobs led me to the Legislative Affairs Office. And it took the Commandant of the Marine Corps leaving, saying, you know, my time here is up. Is there anywhere you want to go in the Marine Corps? And I said, yes, sir. I want to go right across the hall to the Legislative Affairs Office. And um, so, you know, him being a four-star in the Commandant, uh, I got a spot uh, in, in the office pretty easily. Uh, I got out. Um, I applied for a job uh, bef before I had gotten out, and um, it, the first job I applied for, I, I actually got an offer, and it was for the Department of Transportation doing their government affairs. Uh, I was super excited, um, but the only thing I didn't realize along the way is that I, I hated doing policy in an office with no windows, and it took me 10 years, 15 years to figure that out. Uh, but what the Marine Corps did teach me along the way um, was how to plan events. And my first event was here actually at the Marsh Center um, for the diversity office doing um, 
one of the events I, I just described for uh, the largest conference for women. And I, I loved that event, but I was so focused on trying to do this policy job. I didn't realize how much I, I really loved doing events and it took me to, to do the policy job to, to realize that. And can you talk a little bit more about your job now, what you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis? Sure, um, so I have a team um, of uh, assistants who do, um, who help uh, run events. Um, we do anything from, we have a lot of military events um, that we put on. We just did the World War I Memorial. We just did the, um, we did the groundbreaking and the dedication. We've done the opening for the Museum of the Bible. Uh, my boss has done the Holocaust Museum and the World War II um, when it was on the mall. We do a lot of stuff for uh, the Women's Memorial. Um, and we do a lot of technology type uh, conferences. My boss also has a team that does crisis communications with a lot of defense uh, firms as well. And she actually just came from a fashion show. Can you <laughs> did what hat did you get to wear? <laughs> um, so I actually got to put on the Dolce & Gabbana crown um, <laughs> that went on the runway in Paris. So I was super excited today. So when you're planning an event, what are some of the most important things that you think about? So many things um, come to mind. Uh, when anyone asks me if the Marine Corps kind of helped me plan, you know, how, how I focus on events with um, things I've done prior in the Marine Corps, I controlled aircraft. I did a lot of airspace. There's a lot of aircraft in the air and you're trying to figure out their payload, um, how much gas they have, who they can pick up, where they're located, how fast they can get there. And all of that, there's, there's all of that happening in events, um, how fast something can get there, you know, who can get there in time. You know, it's just, it's a lot of the same thing. It's, it's 25 things going on at the same time that you have to put in order and make a decision. And a lot of those decisions are made right in the moment. Um, and the Marine Corps kind of teaches you to make decisions in, in the moment, um, good or bad, to make a decision because one has to be made in, in events that happens all the time. Um, so that was probably one of the best things. Rich, I actually met you on LinkedIn. That's right, yep. <laughs> Can you talk about um, what you're doing now and kind of the, the path that you got to get there? Uh, well, since you mentioned LinkedIn, the path started with LinkedIn. Um, when I was at my former company, I was connecting with people on, in the company, in the same company at LinkedIn, uh, you know, on LinkedIn. And, and that's just not a good strategy. Uh, it, it needs to be outwards. So I decided to take it a little bit more seriously, uh, like very seriously, and started adding about a thousand connections a month. And literally all of my business has come from LinkedIn. Um, now, what I noticed was video was outperforming everything and that there's veteran entrepreneurs out there. There were some very awesome veteran-owned businesses that were not getting the visibility that they needed or wanted. And I figured, okay, like clearly the call to action's right there. Uh, so I'm connecting with these people all over this platform, which is, in my opinion, completely underutilized by the military. Actually, as a matter of fact, who has a LinkedIn profile here? Okay, how, if you post more than two times a week, can you raise your hand? Okay, like two people, three people. Okay, so my belief is that it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Uh, so that's why I'm very, very big about the platform and video branding. Like you got a, a you know, you met a CEO of a Wall Street, or a CEO on Wall Street, right? Like a lot of people might not be that fortunate, so you have to put yourself out there as a subject matter expert in whatever it is that 
you're a subject matter expert in. You have to comment on all these different aspects and connect with the right people on LinkedIn so that way your customer base could come in. Uh, if you're a job seeker and you're not actually going to be an entrepreneur, then those people will see that it's like a portfolio. All your posts, everything that you're doing, that activity on that website is gonna allow people to see you and say, this person, he or she is a good fit for this company. And if you've engaged with them at all, then that's a shoe in So again, it's, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So that's kind of how I developed my business. Can you talk a little bit about your corporate job? How did you know that it was time to leave and do your own thing? <laughs> this is so funny. So for my corporate job, uh, it was operations. It was very high paced, very crazy, long hours. No issue, no issue. I was literally the guy who was wearing like my Marine Corps boots and they're just like, how can you wear those all day? And I'm just like, you know, like blue collar, like let's do this all day. But what I, for me, what I noticed was a, a just a, a significant lack of, of leadership. And look, we're all Marines here or have served in one capacity or another or a military family member. And the exposure that you get to the leadership in the Marine Corps or whatever respective service that you're in is probably unlike some of the leadership you're gonna get exposed to on the outside. That's just my truth. Um, so that for me was, it was very discouraging, very hard uh, to kind of deal with. And I found myself, unlike the Marine Corps, I wasn't like, I didn't have that person who was like, I want to be like them. I want to be like them. In the Marine Corps, I mean, I have my own Mount Rushmore of leaders that, you know, some of them who are no longer here, uh, just amazing leaders. So for me, uh, I, I had to just decided to, to go out on my own. I wasn't getting inspired and I felt like uh, I had a, a better purpose. And I just took the plunge and, and here we are. And I've seen your own branding shift a little bit even since I've known you. Can you talk a little bit about what's your focus now of, of, your, of your videos? Yeah. So, so I do storytelling for executives, uh, especially veteran known businesses. I uh, just got hired literally this morning by a gentleman who's in special forces. He has a consulting organization. He's got a book coming out and he's got a nonprofit. So I'm like booked and booked. Like he's like, you're exactly what I need. You know, I've been wasting $60,000 a year on marketing and I see no returns and, and all these other things. I'm able to at least prove with social media metrics, like here's your visibility, here's your leads, here's your viewership, you know, all these things. Um, but I've also kind of pivoted a little bit as far as my passion and I, and I have a show and podcast called The Leadership Locker uh, where I interview, you know, veteran entrepreneurs or I interview influencers uh, who can share their best transition and entrepreneurial strategies with transitioning service members and veteran entrepreneurs. Sometimes something, these things can be like an echo chamber, right? Like sometimes we're just getting the same advice and it's just like, cool, it's easy to talk to my brother or sister and get all the same information. People who haven't served are actually a very, very good resource. A very good resource to kind of tell you how it is. You know, if I wanted to talk to you about joining an editorial, you know, or a publication or something like that, that's good. You know, like clearly I should talk to you. Um, you have a relationship with the military but haven't served. So you're probably going to give it to me straight and, and give it to me in a manner which is a little bit different than I would from a Marine or a sailor or something like that. So uh, the focus is trying to close the gap. There's 25% uh, of people transitioning out of the military want to start their own business, but only 4.5% do. And I'm wondering why, right? Why is that? Well, it's hard enough to get a job, so why would I even take the risk of trying to be an entrepreneur? Well, it's not as bad as you think, and, and the job security that we all think uh, that exists out there as far as you know, getting on that escalator and just, I'm just gonna ride this uh, you know, progression and I'll eventually be a VP of whatever, it's, it's not as real as you think sometimes. So entrepreneurship is a viable option, and that's part of my, my personal strategy is to kind of encourage more service members to, to give it a shot and look at it in more in depth. 
Before I ask the next question, there are um, sheets on the back if you guys have any questions that you can write down. We also can run the mic at the end, but I know that you guys probably have a lot of very specific questions on their expertise and we wanna hear them. So there are question papers in the back and we can run a mic around and we do the Q&A section at the end. Um, Martha, you said you love your job right now. How did you find that company? How did you find the right fit for you? So the company that I work with now um, does put on the Joint Wounds Leadership Symposium. Uh, when I was here in Quantico, I was the Marine Liaison, um, and it was one of the first events I got to put on. So when I was looking for an event-based job, uh, I realized Susan Davis International was hiring, and I reached out to my now boss, Susan, on LinkedIn, and I said, hi, I've worked with your company before. I love the Joint Women's Leadership Symposium and I'd love to continue to work on it. I just applied for the um, events director job you, you posted online. I got a reply within a day and she said, thank you so much for your service. Very happy you applied, but you're just not what we're looking for. And I remember thinking, I am exactly what she's looking for. And it, it drove me crazy. And I went to sleep that night I, and I, I don't know why I obsessed over it a little bit, uh, but the next morning I woke up and I decided to do a little bit more research um, on Susan Davis International. So I, I looked into what she does and how it related to things that I had done in my career. And I sent her a message back that basically said something like, thanks for the note, Susan, but you're completely wrong. I'm perfect for your company. And I decided on four reasons uh, why I was perfect and I tried to keep them short and brief so that I thought she would read it. And at 11 p.m. that night, I received an email that said, be here tomorrow at 11.30. It wasn't, can you come in for an interview? It was, be here tomorrow at 11.30. Uh, I didn't know if I had angered her or she was excited to see me, um, but I showed up that morning at 11.30 and I had a three hour interview. And I will say, I didn't know how well I did in that interview. I got the hiccups one time, my eyelashes got in my eye and I was crying out of one eye for a good hour. Uh, so everything I felt that could go wrong in an interview kind of went wrong, but um, I, I pushed through it all. And uh, two days later, she said, I, I wanna hire you, but I want you to know when I told you no, and you told me yes, I was bringing you in so that I could show you that you weren't a good fit and you proved me wrong. Um, and so it, it taught me one thing, my resume probably didn't reflect very well what I had done in the military world, you know, for the civilian world. Um, and so I went back and took a look at that later. Um, but that if you get a chance to interview, you can prove a lot in front of people if they just give you a shot. Was that just a personality trait that you sent the email in that way? Was that something you had learned at some point? What, no what happened there? I figured I had nothing to lose. She had already told me no, so her telling me no again really wasn't you know, gonna do anything else. So I, I think I just gave it a shot and, and it worked. All right, I'm gonna ask this one to all of you. What was the most difficult part out of transitioning um, out of the Marine Corps? I'll go. Uh, and for those of you who haven't transitioned, there's, there's, you'll always be a veteran, but when you get out, you're a civilian. All right, like, <laughs> you'll always be a veteran, but you're a civilian when you get out. Meaning, if you don't stay in the GovCon space or defense contracting or anything like that, nobody cares that you serve. 
I don't even know if that's popular to say here, but it is the way it is. No one cares. Uh, so it is your job to kind of paint the picture uh, that you can, you know, exactly what you did it is just to prove your worth. It is, it is a full-time job to make sure that you're able to translate all of your service into civilian terms. Okay, you don't go to Marine Corps boot camp and try and be like, oh, this is how I do it back home. Like, no, you are now a civilian, so you have to show in that way. Losing your tribe, I think, is probably the biggest thing. Uh, and that's what I mean by that. You have to assimilate all over again, um, and that's fine. But losing your tribe and losing the type of people that you worked with and around, especially like when we're talking about like lives on the line and all these, and all these like major life events that these people probably could never relate to, there's a really big disconnect there. Uh, and you can't just talk about when I was in the military, we like, no one wants to hear that. Like, just, just do put in the effort and, and try to assimilate, so to speak. And remember, these are the people who you volunteered to serve, so you can't hate on them, okay? When you get, uh, when you, when you get told no, you just either push or just move on to the next and that's it. So losing your tribe is, is probably the biggest thing and, and just learning to not completely lean on your military service as the requisite uh, for everything. Mine would probably be understanding benefits. I think you get healthcare and you get dental and you get everything. And then when you get out trying to understand if 50% is good, if someone gives it to you or 20 or full or, or what it may be and the other benefits that come along with a 401k and just, just all of that. Um, I, I will say it's kind of embarrassing. The first time I got my insurance card, it was like a flimsy little card. And so I just stuck it in a drawer and I had no idea. I didn't know it was important. Um, and then the first time I went to the doctor, I remember asking someone, so, so how do like I call and then I go and they're like, and then you just show your insurance card. And I was like, I don't have my insurance. I didn't even know that was important. So I had to call and get another one. Um, but it's like figuring out all those things um, in the civilian world. How did you figure it out? I asked a lot of, I, a lot of people help you um, if you put yourself out there finding a job. And so I remember just putting different offers in front of people and being like, you know, here's the benefits for one, here's the benefits for other, or if I'm not making enough, what other benefits can I ask for? Will they pay my phone bill if I need to use it for work more than 50%? Um, and just finding other little things that might not be part of your offer that you can go back and ask for. Uh, Rich, I think I would echo on the uh, tribe shift. That's, um, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going into, uh, you know, a whole new suite of friends, especially if you're getting out of the military at a younger age, you know, you're still single and having fun and you go from the barracks to, you know, living in, you know, in New York or living in a house full of, uh, you know, folks that have never served, um, you know, being able to change some of the personality dynamics is, is hard. Um, I would say the other one, and this is probably more for the younger generation that's transitioning is, uh, and we, we, we train for this in the Marine Corps is preparedness. Um, a lot of the younger generation, I think, gets out and they get home and they figure, hey, mom or dad or, you know, Uncle Joe is going to hook me up with a job or I'm going to go down to the local college and see if I can get started there. Um, really getting a, a one year head start on that transition. And a lot of times people don't know they're going to get out until, you know, 30 days, 45 days beforehand. Um, but I, be, being able to have the discipline to create that preparedness. So when you begin to think about, do I want to stay in or do I want to get out? You've done both tracks. You, you've thought about what happens if I, if I go either direction. And um, I think you'll find that if you really prepare for the transition, 
you're actually doing a lot of the work that you're doing when you're trying to find a job. You're, you're talking to people, you're, you're getting in front of executives, you're getting in front of people, decision makers at organizations and ask them, how would I do this role you know, from my vantage point? What do I need to learn today and within the next six months in order for me to be successful working for XYZ company? Um, so I would say that general preparedness is probably the most critical thing. And, you know, I was just a young sergeant who got out and kind of wandered my way onto Wall Street. And uh, it was completely by chance. Uh, I can't say that I planned any of it. So um, spend time preparing a little bit. Sam, if you would have had that checklist, are there specifics for this one year ahead checklist that they should be thinking about? Yeah, you know, I, I always love to say figure out what you don't like. Um, and... Uh, I think that there's there's space in the Marine Corps to to you know whether it's researching whether it's actually you know I worked at Lone Star Steakhouse on Western Boulevard when I was a Lance Corporal you know <laughs> I figured out that I did not like being a hostess pretty quickly um, and so there's a lot of things that I think you can do while you're in to figure out what experiences you want and what experiences you don't want um, but uh, you know so much of I think what what I've learned now is um, you know. I love my podcasts. I mean, if, if you don't know the Intercom podcasts on customer engagement, that's one of the best podcasts out there if you're in the digital space. Um, listening to, uh, you know, folks that are, you know, thinking about business decisions and reading some books early on, I think is really important. But I'd say the most important thing is actually getting out and talking to people. And what's great about the Marine Corps community is you can reach out to anybody, no matter where they are. If someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn, I never met in my life, and they're trying to connect me, I generally say no. But if they reach out and they say, hey, I'm a Marine trying to make my way, I will make an hour of my day to have a phone call with that person. If they ask me for another hour, I will give them another hour. And that's one of the greatest things about our Corps is that that ability to reach that handout consistently, it will it will always be there. So find Marines in high places and, and they'll, they'll help you climb. Can I add one thing yeah. on that? Uh, you just said something that was like huge. When you served in the Marine Corps, you were likely assigned what you were going to do. And you probably did very well, all right? We're not all created equal. There's obviously some Marines were just like, oh my God, how'd you get in? But, you know, um, you probably excelled. But when you get out, if I was a logistician or if I was an aviation mechanic or whatever, that doesn't mean I naturally just need to do that. If you are passionate about something and you haven't explored it yet, your work ethic will take you to where you want to be. And you just have to have the expectation management that it's probably going to be a tech technical gap. But you could tell the hiring manager or that boss, like, give me a year and I'd like to be commensurate with my peers. Okay? Because they're probably going to say, you don't have the experience, we're going to give you this much and you're going to laugh at the salary. But if you end up doing exactly what you want to do, I mean, if you, if you excelled in the Marine Corps and then you have the opportunity to pursue it on the outside, whatever it is, no matter how much of a pivot, you absolutely could end up doing exactly what you want to do and be the happiest former Marine on earth. <laughs> you said the work ethic. I would assume that you're meaning the work ethic you learned in the Marine Corps. Are there other skills that you guys learned in the Marine Corps that you've seen play out substantially in your careers? Or maybe skills that you didn't necessarily think about or things that you learned in the Marine Corps that they can focus on in their transition? Uh, other, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know, one, one of the things that uh, I think what's unique to the Marine Corps is, you know, we, we're given a lot of leeway uh, at an early age to, uh, to figure out how to get the mission done. And, um, you know, I think what that does, that creates a lot of grit in the way that we go about things. And so if someone says, here's the mission, and you've got, you know, free, you know, freedom to accomplish it in any way you know, it's it within certain left and right lateral limits. 
Um, that gives you a lot of mental elasticity to kind of design what success looks like for that mission. And so, um, and I think that when you consistently start to do that over and over again, as you're get allowed to do in the Marine Corps, um, that gives you this ability to, you know, know that, hey, I, I don't know how to get there right now, but give me 30 minutes and a phone call with somebody and I'll figure it out. And uh, I think that's a lot of the grit that gets built in um, because, you know, as you, as you move through your career, you, if you start a business, whatever your, your, your journey is, you're gonna, there's lots of roadblocks and you're gonna see people to your left and your right, you know, taking off the pack and saying, I'm just gonna go take that job for Booz Allen or I'm gonna, you know, sit on my retirement check. Um, and the people that keep charging forward just an extra inch and get over that wall, the ones that are successful and uh, create a lot of fulfillment for themselves. So um, I would say that the grit that the Marine Corps instills in you is a, a pretty incredible trait. I would probably say that the Marine Corps gives very junior people or people without a skill set a job that in the civilian world you probably wouldn't get without 10 years of experience. Um, and I say that as being a, a protocol officer for the Commandant of the Marine Corps, I, I probably need 10 plus years experience in the civilian world to get a protocol job with one of the Joint Chiefs easily. And the day that I remember a three-star came up to me and he said, hey, I have to put up a lieutenant or a captain for this job. Are you interested? And I said, definitely. And then I went back to my computer and I Googled the word protocol <laughs> because I had no idea what it meant. Um, and, and a week later, I'm up and I'm, I'm doing this job with a week's notice of even what the word meant uh, that I was getting ready to do. And, and then I did that job. So um, I've learned that any job in the civilian world I can kind of take and I can learn it and I can do it because the Marine Corps has given me that, that kind of mindset that if it's out there and other people can do it and you can learn, like there's a way to figure it out um, and you can do a really good job. Uh, I would say leadership development um, is, is for me the biggest catalyst uh, that allowed me to be successful when I was at my operations job. If you could be a force multiplier, that is like, your superior's like dream is like, we can make more, you know, with right here in the company, right here, like, and I don't have to hire and I can retain and they're gonna work their butt off. Like, I think your ability to develop leaders because we do it at such a young age, I mean, come on, you're a fire team leader at how old? You know, your squad leader at how old? You're turning wrenches on aircraft, 19 years old. Like that is serious business. So if you can help other people and believe me, I had young managers who were 23 years old giving feedback to a 50 year old, like that's insane, but we were able to work through those things. And if you can be a full force multiplier and develop other leaders, then I think that's just gonna shoot you right to the top. For Sam and for Rich, can you talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial space right now and why entrepreneurship is a good or maybe a bad option? Okay, so you could, I kind of mentioned it earlier, you can be at a job. It's like, I just think of like a, a chair or a stool or a table with four legs. Uh, entrepreneurship allows you to have multiple streams of income versus relying on one single source of income. No matter how long you've been at a job, you know, you could be here today, gone tomorrow if you make the wrong mistake. Even if you have, you know, plenty of time there, it doesn't matter. And maybe someone knows a friend of a friend of a friend who's, probably in a tough time and they need this job and sorry, Rich, you gotta go. So, uh, you know, that's, that's not necessarily how it is, but let's just talk about, you know, real estate. I just sold one of a property I had in California because I'm worried there's not been anything going on for a very long time, it was doing well, and I'm like, let me just get rid of this before it tanks. In those tough times, a lot of jobs become very insecure. If you're an entrepreneur and you have different skill sets, whether it be affiliate marketing, 
um, all these different avenues for passive income, uh, you have a YouTube channel, whatever it may be, uh, you are giving yourself the opportunity to not, to have four legs, you know, and not have those other legs taken out from under you. And that may have sounded like not an amazing analogy, but I, I, I truly believe that. So I have my, you know, foot in multiple different areas. And because of that, I feel very secure that in hard times, I will still be able to provide value in many different areas. And if it's not providing value to like a customer, I could provide, provide value to people who are doing it on a massive scale. Again, like affiliate marketing. Um, there's, there's so many different things that you could do that I think can kind of broaden the horizon in your financial landscape so you don't just simply rely on one thing. You know, I think that there are, uh, there are people that are built for entrepreneurship and the people that aren't built for an entrepreneurship. And I think the only way to figure that out is to try both sides of the coin. Um, you know, some folks really want stable, steady, uh, predictable outcomes and uh, other people just enjoy the fog of war. And uh, I, would, I would find that Marines gen generally tend to enjoy the fog of war. Um, so, you know, I think that's probably why we see a lot of folks get out of the military and become entrepreneurs because they've got that, uh, that, that kind of, you know, urge to explore the unknown and to be on the side of risk that some people are a little bit less apt to take. Um, the only way you're going to figure that out is, is by, by trying both. Um, you know, I, I, I spent four years working for a, a hedge fund and uh, it was pretty boring. It was good money, but it was pretty boring. And starting Sandbox uh, was no money and for a long, long time. And uh, but it was very exciting. And I chose to err on the side of excitement. And uh, and that risk, you know, has paid off. Um, it doesn't pay off for a lot of people. And you'll find that a lot of entrepreneurs you meet are on their fifth or sixth, seventh, you know, endeavor. And it's that seven one that, you know, hits the ringer and is all successful for them. And some people get it, get it right on the first time and then fail the three times after that. So there's, it just depends on the risk type of type, but really kind of, you know, who you are inside and where you want to play. For all of you, what was the most useful piece of career advice that was given to you? And what is the most useful career advice you can give us today? Uh, most useful, it's, I mean, this is very simple and it just ties into emotional intelligence. Uh, we're, we're very used to like this, like, uh, like we're Marines, like we got everything under control. Uh, talk less, listen more is probably the best advice I, I've gotten. Uh, you need to understand your employer, you need to understand your customer, you need to understand all the problems that the people have going on around you uh, and it just gets into you know, empathy and emotional intelligence. And, you know, maybe that's like a new territory for Marines, right? Like we really care about each other, but at the end of the day, like if I bust out the knife hand, like I know what's gonna, what I'm saying to get done is gonna get done. Um, it's a little bit different out here. So I would say talk less, listen more, and then just, just really process everything everyone's gonna have to say and listen without preparing what you're gonna say in return. Just fully be present and listen, and you'll probably solve so many more problems, whether it's for a potential customer or a job you're interviewing for, or whether it's someone on your team that needs assistance. Uh, for me, that's probably been the biggest piece of advice. Mine would probably be network more. Um, every time I go to an event, I meet someone um, that I can help, uh, someone who could potentially help me in the future or just something or, or someone that I've met that um, I know I can turn to later for a piece of advice or a, a job opportunity. 
Um, but I've never been to a, a networking event where I didn't get something from it and I didn't meet someone um, that was useful uh, in the future or in that moment. So I think the, the more you can network and really just talk to people, and that's true in transition. I always say, um, tell everyone that you're transitioning. When you're transitioning, tell your you know, son's babysitter, tell your best friend, tell your uncle. Uh, you never know when an opportunity is gonna pop up. And it's, I, I've been to more events than I can count where someone's come up and said, yeah, I'm trying to find an accounting job, but no one will hire me. And two seats over, someone's like, oh, we're looking for an accountant. Why don't you talk to my boss? He's right over there, come with me. Um, and it's happened more times than I can count. So just keep networking and keep talking to people. Martha, I would, I would uh, say, yeah, network more earlier, um, especially in the transition, start that process. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there is nothing that, regardless, it, it, Army, soldier, sailor, doesn't, Marine, anybody that spent time in the military, if you reach out to them and you say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm getting out of the military and I'd like to pick your brain, if, you, if you're set on going to work for ExxonMobil, find five Marines, five soldiers, five sailors that work for ExxonMobil and reach out to them. They will talk to you and, and you will begin to be able to paint a picture of what you could potentially do at ExxonMobil. And second, I would say do exactly what Martha did. Go out and tell people how you could be a false multiplier, how you can generate revenue for their organization. I guarantee you, if, if I had someone come to me today and say, Sam, I, I think I understand Sandbox this way, and this is what I think I could do for your business, and this is what I think I could do for your Marines and your family members, I would listen to that conversation. I would take it incredibly seriously. So if you can market yourself in that way, if you can network more, network earlier, and be able to, to, to put yourself out there in a way where you are a force multiplier, you know how to generate you know, better engagement, more revenue, things that are a positive impact for that organization, they're gonna take that call, they're gonna take that meeting, and you're gonna find yourself in a great position. One last question for me before we do the um, pile of questions we have here. Here we're thinking about our next mission and, and the next mission out of the Marine Corps. What is your guys' next mission and what are you working toward? Is that uh, next mission like personally or business? Personally, or? business, in your career, where are you going? Um, so, you know, specifically for Sandbox, you know, we've, we've spent an exorbitant amount of time focusing on what happens in that first year of service from those that are coming through the recruiting channels into basic training and getting onto their advanced schools and MOS schools. Um, we're looking at how do we continue to build content technology that really can help that individual service member and those families as they begin to get to their first duty stations, as they get to their MOS schools. Um, so I think that's probably the, the, the main focus for uh, our company uh, right now. And, and how do we do that? And there's a number of ways in which we're doing that. Secondly, uh, personally, you know, I've got a eight month old son at home. So I'm just learning to be a dad and I'm absolutely loving it. And uh, so I'm really trying to make sure I uh, get home for uh, date night. <laughs> Um, think for me. So I've been thinking a lot about starting my own business and I don't know if it'll be in one year, four years or 10 years, um, but I've been taking it more seriously and I've been looking into a lot of the opportunities that they provide veterans. I, I know there's a ton of programs that do fellowships, ones that will take you under their wings and just school in general, um, looking at MBAs and some other things. So. Um, I think it's in my future. I don't know how soon it's in my future, but uh, I'm definitely looking into it. 
Uh, for, for me, the transition, I had an MBA, I was retired, I was like, this should be smooth. It was not smooth uh, at all uh, for, for multiple reasons. And a lot of it's kind of things that we've talked about. You end up where you're not sure if you belong there. Uh, so, so for me personally, um, you know, three and a half billion people are on social media. That's half of the world's population. They spend two hours and 50 minutes a day on their phones watching things. Um, so I would love to go speak at many more panels like this and go to TRS and tell them how it really is and be like, this is bad advice, this is bad advice, but my best outlet is social media. So I have a goal to have like the number one transition channel on YouTube and just tell it how it is, my way, however I want, F-bombs galore, doesn't matter, you know, and just be like, here's, here's how it is. Here's how it is. I, I, I want so desperately for service members to get out and just really look at the options in the most realistic manner, not the most practical manner, okay? So just like that natural transition, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not as real as people think. So uh, the more people I could get on board with that, uh, the better. So that's my goal, to just reach as many people as possible in that, in that regard. Great. Thank you all. Um, we have a few questions, but before we do that, I just wanna bring the mic really quickly to Mr. Rick Butler. He wants to just make a quick plug for Marine for Life, who is hosting us today. So thank you, Mr. Rick Butler. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate that. My name is Rick Butler, and I work for the Marine for Life Network. We're a small Marine Corps program. And what our program does is connect transitioning service members, spouses, veterans to opportunities. And those opportunities come in uh, three different categories. That can be employment, that can be education, and that can be a veteran service organization. And we do that with a small team uh, of about 65 I'm a debt Marines, and there's about four of us regional network coordinators. We partner, connect, and network with great organizations, uh, some of which are on the panel right here, and other organizations are out there looking to bring transitioning service members, veterans, and spouses into their organization. We do that through the Marine for, Marine for Life Network, and just like you heard through the panel, it's about networking. It's Marines out there helping those transitioning folks and those folks that are underemployed get to the jobs that they feel is beneficial to them and to help with that transition and make it a little smoother. I myself, a retired Marine, uh, like we heard on the panel, I kind of struggled when I came out. I served in the Marine Corps from 1981 to 2002 and the transition was not smooth. But I did have help from fellow Marines that smoothed it out just a little bit. But I was a little apprehensive. Today is a different day. There's organizations, there's companies, there's networking opportunities out there, and there's Marines at these locations and in these organizations that are just waiting, chomping at the bit to serve a fellow Marine, or soldier, or sailor, or airman, or coasting. The Marine for Life Network is just another resource as you're transitioning out or if you're looking for uh, an employment or if you're underemployed and you're looking for a resource, the Marine for Life Network can help you get to where you want to go. www.marineforlife.org. Please join us. We'd love to share a resource with you. We'd love to connect you to a veteran that would love to connect you to a resource to make your transition smoother. Or if you're underemployed, they would like to help you to get where you're going. 
or if you're looking to start your own business, as you heard from our panel today, we have Marines out there that are just waiting and willing to share information of great things to make your business successful. Thanks for the few minutes. I appreciate it. Marine for Life, www.marineforlife.org. Thank you, Rick. All right, we keep hearing everything about networking. Um, and Rich, you mentioned LinkedIn connections. We have a question on advice, how to start connecting with people um, via LinkedIn, and I'm gonna add in networking as well, and actually get them to notice a military veteran in the sea of connections. Um, I think you should take out transitioning Marine or whatever from your title. Uh, that is kind of your state of being, it's not what you are, it's not what you do. What you do is project manager, what you do is IT, what you do is aviator. Uh, be very, very clear on what it is that you do so that the people who need to find you will be able to see that and not have to dig through your stuff to realize after they're transitioning whatever, this is what they actually do. As far as starting connections, it's super easy. It is super easy. You go into search for people and you do your geographic location or the location of the company that you want to work for. And then you go to second level connections, select that or your first level connections and see who pops up. And you could type in veteran in that, in that city. I've done it for DC a million times and it's like boom, boom, boom. That's how we got connected, Andrea. Hello, so I mean, it's super easy. Um, that, that's how you kind of got to go about it. And you can't be wish-washy about connecting with people. It's the same way it is in person. Um, you go out and try and offer value up front, okay? Uh, yes, you know, can I take you to coffee and all these things, that, that's fine, but if there's a way you could kind of offer some upfront value, uh, you're gonna have far more people invested in what you're trying to do sooner, and just don't lead with what you want or what you need, okay? That's uncomfortable for us as, as it is anyway, right? Like, I need a job, I was wondering if you could, no, 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 no. Talk to them about, you know, what your experience is, I see what you're doing, I'd love to be in your shoes one day, you know, any advice. And that advice actually becomes into a potential job if they actually like you and resonate with you. So don't be shy about connecting. Obviously, it's very easy to connect with other veterans on LinkedIn. Reach out to some of those other people who are not veterans, okay? And maybe there's people out there who are not the type of people who are like, thank you for your service and all this other stuff. And maybe they're looking for a way to give back or to connect with a veteran, and if you find that person, it's like a unicorn, right? It's just kind of like, okay, here you go. Like, come on in, let's talk. Come on in at 11.30, and, and then what happens? It's, and you did it on LinkedIn. So it's like, just, just get after it, and he said it earlier, it's, it's a year, two years, doesn't matter how long you're, before you're getting out, uh, do that. And take off your uniform for your picture. Please take off your uniform. It, it, it really makes you look like you can't assimilate and that you're gonna show up to your interview in alphas or something ridiculous, all right? I will say, um, I get a lot of LinkedIn requests and I normally don't accept them if I don't know the person, but Rich's profile, he had some awesome photos and videos. It was very professional. It kind of made me think, oh, I want my profile or to look more like that. I want that online brand presence. So his online presence is how we connected. and. Um, and how we've been connected ever since. So anyway, do you guys have any other thoughts on? I would, I would just uh, echo on Rich's thoughts. Um, you know, be also, you know, be specific with, uh, you know, what you're trying to accomplish. If it's, uh, you know, I, I would like to work in this role. Um, I want to make this amount of money. I want to live in this geographic area. A lot of times, you know, the folks that reach out to me asking for advice, I ask them those questions to set those expectations up front so I can, I can be as helpful as possible. 
Um, so the more you know, information you can bring to the table when you're reaching out for advice on LinkedIn uh, or just in general networking, um, the better response you're gonna get from, from that person that's giving you that advice. Maybe the trick I would add is if you go to an event, um, take a photo with some people, take a photo with a large group, get their names, get their information, uh, tag them, tag the location you were at, tag the group that put it on, thank them for putting it on. And every one of those people in that picture are probably gonna like it. And when they like it, they, other people are gonna see it on their profile and people are gonna be like, well, this person's hanging out with a lot of really cool people. So they must be important too. Um, and every time I get tagged in a photo, I probably get 20 to 30 you know, requests that day from other people who have tagged me in this photo um, that I went to an event. So I've noticed that every time I'm in a photo, you know, I get all these requests from people. So, um, so yeah, every time you go, take, take a photo, tag those people, tag the company, tag the organization, put some hashtags in there, uh, and other people will see that. How would you recommend getting started in the business world after leaving the military? How do you focus on specifically what you want to do next? I think that just comes with uh, the preparation, um, you know, knowing what you don't want to do. I think you know, a lot of people will get out and they'll try, you know, doing their own little mini agency or they'll, uh, you know, make an Etsy shop or, you know, variety of, they could become an eBay seller. Um, I think you've got to try a lot of it, but uh, there's, there's so much, so much you can learn from, you know, getting advice before you actually step into things. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a great uh, entrepreneur and, and serial founder investor in Silicon Valley called, uh, his name's Sam Altman. And he has this phrase, it's called, uh, do, do things that don't scale. And uh, we fundamentally believe in doing things that don't scale. Um, and I think that as you begin to figure out, you know, if you want to walk down starting a business, try and do it in a way that's not scalable first. So you don't spend all this time and energy and money seeing if it works or not. Do it in a way that's super hacky, lightweight and simple and if you're getting good metrics and returns from it and you're happy you know invest in the infrastructure invest in people invest in in the in the time that needed to to operationalize something a lot better but um i think those probably the best way to go uh I, I would just say you don't need to rush into college or higher education especially for that exact reason you may spend four years and use your GI Bill or yellow ribbon or whatever it is, and you're like, you know what? I actually don't want to be an architect at all. Uh, and and that, that, then you find yourself feeling the pressure that I just made this investment. I have to do this. Um, do some OJT. I mean, people are going to be really open. Be like, hey, let me shadow you for a week. I will work my butt off, whatever it is, and just see. And then you can make the decision. I call it just like tasting all the different flavors of ice cream. Taste as many flavors as you can. And, and I mean, it may seem like you're on a time crunch, but if you prepare financially in advance, you could use that terminal leave or whatever it may be to kind of, you know, just just test a couple of things out. Uh, and as far as integrating into the business world, whatever you don't know, someone's willing to help you. It's, it's just a matter of what this theme of this is, which is networking. Someone is willing to help you if you put it out there and then they will educate you and say, what, what, he said PL earlier, what, what's PL? You know, like what, what is, you know, people will help you. A lot of the business world, here's, here's like a hack. It's just language. It's just the language, right? You don't need to study statistics, I promise you. Uh, you know, there's, there's equations in marketing that are just like completely irrelevant. It's like, get out of here. So, so just talk to people who could teach you the language and you'll be good and just test things out. My grandfather served in World War II 
Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. I want to thank the Military Times on graciously allowing us to distribute that panel discussion. And I hope you got something out of it. That's it for this bonus episode. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, don't forget to follow the VA on social media. You can find us at our blog, Vantage Point, at blogs.va.gov. And if you like Born the Battle, hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher or player of choice. Have a Merry Christmas, a joyful holiday season, and have a safe and happy new year. Take care.